Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to when they were young. Our guest today is Ireland's premier non-binary drag entity. It's Ren Dennehy, a.k.a. Evoke Reaction. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you? It is delightful to have you on the show and to meet you as well. I'm delighted to yeah. meet you guys too and very glad to know that you know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> there was it's a really lovely a surprise. Ago, <laughs> maybe last summer, not last summer, Jeepers, summer 2019, I remember being out and a, a bunch of um, writers I knew were going to a show that you're in and I had heard of you. Oh, fun. And I was like, I can't believe I'm missing out on this show. I wasn't oh, no. So there have been words through the grapevine of your work and your presence. So it's very exciting for us to have you here. And then we're finally in the room together. It's yeah. finally happening. <laughs> a room of sorts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You've picked a very exciting topic. Um, like literally you sent me the message yesterday and I like freaked out. I was like, how has it not occurred to anybody to do this yet? Because yeah. like, we've all seen it like 50 times probably. Yeah, I couldn't believe Please. nobody had done it yet. And I feel very blessed, fortunate. Yes. And this feels like the right time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Say the title for us. This is the 1993 comedy classic Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. So excited to chat about this. I could talk about yeah. this all day, every day. I just have so much to say. Yeah, I, so I guess how will we start? Uh, for anybody who doesn't know what Mrs. Doubtfire is, just on the very off chance, what is Mrs. Doubtfire? So Mrs. Doubtfire is a, a comedy family film directed by Chris Columbus of Harry Potter and other film fame, starring Robin Williams and Sally Field and a very young Mara Wilson about a uh, deadbeat divorcee dad who has some family problems that only cross-dressing can fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a 1993 film, it only has like three or four serious moments of horrendous transphobia. I so, honestly, I made a list of yeah. things that would mm. kind of get you transported to Cancel Island if it were made <laughs> now. And there's yeah. only like five things on there. Like really, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised and relieved. <laughs> so uh, tell us about your journey with the film. How, did you, how old were you when you saw it? Oh, what do you, a journey. Do you remember seeing it? I don't, I don't actually remember the very first time I saw it, but I remember being hyper obsessed with it, probably from about age five. And I think one of the main things that kind of kept me so interested was that we didn't own it on video. So it was mm. anytime we went to Extravision, that was a go-to. Uh, yeah. Also, my auntie Mag had the video down in Mullingar. So anytime we'd go and visit her, like I said, my parents were going out for the day, we'd go down and visit her and she'd be like, oh, I've got plenty planned for you to do over the next few days. Blah, 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 blah. Auntie Mag, I will be watching Mrs. Doubtfire on a loop <laughs> yeah. for three days. So you can take a seat. Thank you. Um, so kind of any, any chance any chance I had to sit down with Mrs. Doubtfire and just be with the magic, I was delighted. I had something similar. I remember the VHS was just appearing in our house sporadically for weeks at a time. Oh. I, I, I think and like one of our cousins had it and would lend it to us. And then we would watch it like every day for two weeks and then it would disappear. And then it would just appear again a little while later. So I've seen it like easily... Probably like the list, you know that thing where it's like the list of films you've seen the most times and the films you actually think are your favourites are two completely different lists? Yeah. So like Mrs. Doubtfire is definitely on my films I've seen the most times. Like Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire, Hook and Grease Whoa. are like, oh, are like my, my four most seen films. But like the top actual favourite films are a totally different thing. Um, yeah, we, we all loved it. Like it's everybody, it was, a, it was a huge like moment of a film. Yeah. Like it was pretty inescapable when it was around. What did you like about it? So what I love about Mrs. Doubtfire is, I think it's, it's this, the, the mix between, I think Chris Columbus does this really well in his films, is there's a mix between like really light, really funny kind of slapstick uh, comedy, but then also really tense, kind of properly weighted, really well written, really well acted emotional mm -hmm. scene. So it's kind of, at once it's this sort of like light fluffy family film, but then also a tense emotional family drama. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I always sort of liked the, the kind of the tension between those two things. And also as a young sort of like budding non-binary snowflake, um, seeing somebody navigate their lives through more than one gender and do it successfully and have it mm. work out for them. That was a really positive kind of early role modeling moment, even before I had an understanding of kind of what, how, what my gender identity makeup sort of yeah. was. It was great to always be able to refer back to, well, you know, that fictional character did pretty well as <laughs> a man in a dress. There's tremendous so, so grace. There's a huge amount of grace for how Robin Williams navigates those roles and the two different facets of that identity. Big it's lovely. Time. It's actually really lovely to watch. When I sat back down to it, it was sort of an ambient film for me. I kind of said to Carrie earlier, I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen this. And I watched it, I was like, oh no, I've seen this about 18 times. 
Mm-hmm. It, just, it just has always been somewhere, but I was poised and sort of prickly and ready to like to cancel left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. It's very graceful and very beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, very beautiful. You can tell that Robin Williams had such a respect for any character he played, so therefore Daniel Hillard has such a respect for Mrs. Doubtfire, therefore we respect mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire. And she's a real person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of nuance. He, yeah, a lot of nuance, and I think that's what really kind of keeps it away from Cancel Island for me in a lot of cases because this isn't a person cross dressing for the laugh. He has to cross dress in order to get his kids back, mm. and he has to do it really well. So like Daniel makes a tit of himself, and like Robin Williams makes a tit of himself playing Daniel, but Mrs. Doubtfire rarely has kind of fuck ups of her own. She's Huge always so well spoken and Huge yeah, integrity, big time. And she has to navigate the patriarchy in this really interesting way. Then mm. like these sequences with her on the bus, for example, right? Where the body becomes really pronounced. Like she's mm. suddenly very aware of her um, different role in the world. And suddenly the object of the gaze, albeit a tender gaze, right? Yeah, very tender. So well played. Oh, the sweet bus driver. <laughs> so lovely. There, but there there are moments of like flinching navigation around um, the body. But yeah. it's always handled really respectfully and never kind of played cheaply, you know? No, that's the thing. I and mean, mm. it, it always serves the story. Um, it's rarely gratuitous. Like any of the sort of iffier moments were the ones where they made a slightly gratuitous joke at the expense of sort of trans identities. But generally speaking, yeah, there's a real kind of... You can just tell that, that uh, Robin Williams had such a reverence for the work that he did mm. and was so uh, dedicated to it. I think there was probably also an awareness that they needed to keep it grounded so it wouldn't all sort of fly away into absolute kind of fantasy that Mm. by because something i noticed as i watched it is they constantly flip-flop it between sort of peaks and troughs so in the opening uh scene you have the birthday party and there's like jump around is playing it's really really high tight 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 and then Miranda pulls the cord and then you go straight into this like big trough scene then where she's like, we're getting a divorce. So in the first five minutes, it. you've already done really that. really quietly. She's yelling oh. at him and they're yelling. Yeah. And then he's like, she whispers it. It's really powerfully played. Like, oh. Yeah. And I think um, Sally Field was such a, I think the casting across the board is like impeccable mm. in this. I think Sally Field, especially like, even though Robin Williams is taking everything just so seriously, he's still this kind of wild and zany character. She's such like an earthing rod the whole way through. She really grounds the film. And those, by the way, those kid actors, like we know what Mara Wilson went on to do, but all three of them are unreal. Unreal. Mm. So well cast. They know their characters really well. You really believe them. And I believe them as a family. I believe them as a little unit as well. Mm. There is definitely a, like a, continuity resemblance from Sally Field to Lisa Jacob, I think, yeah. and Tamara Wilson. Yeah. You, and you can see a bit of Robin Williams in The Sun as well. Like Definitely. It's, it's really, really, like, very well done. For, especially because they didn't really care about family resemblances in films back then, really. If you're going to no. have any other film. And the choice yeah. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco as a backdrop is really interesting as well. Like, I got, I Jesus, you put me near a picture of San Francisco and I get teary-eyed so I lived there for three years. Oh yeah. Um, but particularly that end of the Presidio, that particular kind, not, not Presidio, sorry, Pack Heights, the particular kind of wealth that you see living there is Sally Field's character. It is corporate mm. bullshit, you know? Mm. But there is this lovely intersection of like Robin Williams's brother, you know, and his partner, oh. like it's always, mm. if you're in San Francisco, you will always be deeply interconnected to a queer history, you know? Yeah. So there is, uh, I don't, it could have been set in New York, but for me, it's more, it makes more sense as a family story to be set in San Francisco. Like in the beginning when they pull up during the children's birthday parties with the fucking goats and like the whole, uh, what should I say, the whole San Diego uh, farm or whatever it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. I kind of sat there and I was, I was a nanny and um, a very young red haired Mrs. Doubtfire to other people's families in San Francisco. <laughs> I was having a lot of nannies. Right? <laughs> Um, I was like, I've walked by plenty of houses in that city, and I think anybody who lived there would go and walk by a lot of other houses in that city who are having welcome house parties full of goats and ponies. Like, there is a, it slots very neatly into the story of a wider city as well. So, you know, like it's very at home in itself as a piece of work. Like, it, it, uh, it makes sense that it's set there. Every car you see is on an angle. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> It's uh, it's a lot more adult than I remembered. 
We actually, yeah. my, my wife watched it, we actually had to check the rating of it at one point. We were like, this wasn't PG, was it? So I actually checked Wikipedia and they did have to cut the version that we probably saw had a couple of bits cut from it. No way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole section uh, where he's where Miss Deadfire is talking to uh, Pierce Brosnan's character about Sally Field and her power drill in the bedroom. Oh and stuff. my god! Yeah. Oh my god! That was not in the version we saw as kids. That has been reinstated. Okay. It was in the American okay. version. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's one that, that really jarred with me last night. Yeah. Uh, when when I was watching it, I was really delighted by it because Robert <laughs> uses the phrase "bone dance" when he's talking mm-hmm. to him. Ah! Yeah, he also uses the phrase "going down payment," which is fantastic. Going down payment, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the bone dance thing is something that we used to use in college all the time. Really? How are you doing Uh... bone dance? (laughs) B to the D, bone dance. Like it was something that we used all the time, and I had never. I thought it was like a Scaries thing because my friend from Scaries used to use it all the time. But no, (laughs) it's a Robin Williams versus Downfire thing. thing. Yeah, it, it does walk that nice line in terms of like being a family movie and nodding to the adults at all times. I think that there's, I think that it's it's not a children's movie, but it's a family mm. movie. You know, mm. like it's, yeah. It's, I think this comes from a, it comes during a golden age of family movies. Like I feel like the nineties was really strong for that, where directors and producers knew not to talk down to young audiences. Mm. You know, like Rob Williams even says it in the film. Like that's his whole like. Uh, mantra as a kids entertainer is like just talk to him like don't talk down to him mm. and that's kind of like that's what he's doing the entire film mm-hmm. his he has so much heart in that it, and everything from William does there's so much heart that comes through like he just you feel a love of him I think mm. when you watch Robin Williams do stuff and it just comes through I really love watching him do anything even his like shitty films you can still watch him because he looks like any kind of random Irish dad yeah i think growing up as well I, I, had, I had a really fun dad as well like kind of mm-hmm. a, a daniel hillard so like very much my dad tony denny he vibes going on there <laughs> definitely <laughs> recognize that yeah. but it's also kind of nods to um this sort of like i think uh, it was such a thing in the 90s to have divorce 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 as a theme in the 90s was mm. such a thing i feel and the divorced dad kind of trope was quite big wasn't it yeah um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah i feel like this is one of the kind of cornerstones of that sort of uh trope is is this doubtfire mm. the little moments of adult conflict that you see like the first time for example that sally fields shows up at robin williams's apartment and there's this sort of like you drop them off an hour late you've shown up an hour early like there's these linty conversations that they have that feel very much like half snatches you might have heard as a child presented to him for, mm. you know like it's excruciatingly petty yeah mm. yeah <laughs> it's so petty it's sad like it's because there is so much again the, the premise when you describe it to people like it wouldn't be made today like it's like so many of the juvenilia hits it simply wouldn't be made today and if they did they wouldn't do it correctly they wouldn't do it compassionately they wouldn't do it with the nuance that we've seen right um like if you if you heard say online that they were making a film with this storyline today like i'd be like nah fuck this film fuck this film put it in a bin pretend it never happened but as a the way that it was handled was so tender and earnest you know it was not the the sole string of this film is robin williams really wants to hang out with his kid and this is the only way he can do it not lol dad in the dress yeah. Yeah. There's a real danger that the film could have been like like a fart and rap and granny kind of thing. Not at all. And it never does that. No. It never it never makes fun of Mrs. Doubtfire. Like no. she she gets herself into some situations, but it's never At her expense. He never yeah. he never debases the character of Mrs. Doubtfire like in service when he he always like stays hundred percent true to her when he's when he is Mrs. Doubtfire. Hundred mm. percent. We laugh at Daniel making the balls of doing Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah. But not yeah. Doubtfire, right? Exactly. Why do you yeah. think that is, Ren? Like, what what line, like, there are some fantastic classical films which explore classical, do you hear me? As I say, Victor Victoria, that's not fucking classical. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there are some fantastic classic films which engage with that um, performance of gender and, and uh, subversion of gender, right? Like Victor Victoria for me, for example, was a really huge film as a child. Mm-hmm. And I really understood very young that there was this blur and this switching back and forth between the characters that Julia, Julia Andrews was playing, right? Um, 
what do you think it is that's the difference between playing it? I guess it's, it's the answer to the question, but like playing it with your full heart and playing it another way. Like how, like what makes a film like that memorable for the good reasons instead of the bad ones? I think it comes down to the the purpose and the function of the, let's say, like gender non-conforming character. If the purpose of that gender non-conforming character is to bring kind of slapstick laughs and gaffs and sort of revolving door comedy, you know, that's less likely to resonate with a queer person mm. in general. Mm. I'm thinking of like, say, some like at heart. I've actually never seen Victor Victoria I watched clips of Tootsie, you know, Tootsie from the, yeah, yeah. the 80s. Um, and that was, like, I even just seen little clips of just Justin Hoffman, Hoffman playing a woman. I was deeply, deeply troubled and offended by it. It was like, mm. I'm, doing a, I'm doing a girl voice and I'm wearing a sexy girl outfit. And yeah. it's it's problematic top to bottom. Um, whereas I think with Mrs. Doubtfire, I'm trying to think of other examples, but, but for... Within that story, Mrs. Doubtfire has to be convincing to those kids. Like, it's literally their da in a mask. So he has to be, mm. he, he has to take it so seriously. He has to really do the work and uh, commit to being in this other person's experience and being in this other person's body. And it's a lesson in kind of how you can empathize with, uh, empathize kind of and understand other people's perspectives. Uh, even if they aren't your own lived ones. Like the, the purpose of Mrs. Doubtfire in this film is that she's our hero. She's she's the, the person who's going to get us to where we need to, to be. We want mm. her to, to succeed. Um, and that's just essentially sort of, you know, cl- clapping for that gender non-conforming character, clapping for that sort of trans-esque character, as opposed to just either pointing and laughing or being terrified like Buffalo Bill signs the lambs. And you know, Robert, Robert Robin Williams makes a Buffalo Bill joke. He does. Things. It's great. I yeah. was just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And it's so quick that you could miss it. It's a blink quick, right? It's in the I missed scene, it. I think when, he, yeah. when, he's, when he's with um, the social worker. It's brilliant farce. It's, yeah, yeah, social yeah. worker has arrived. You tell us about it, Ren. So basically the, the social worker has arrived. He's forgotten that the appointment is happening. Um, uh, he's entering as Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. As, as Mrs. Doubtfire, but, but she's, yeah. she's there to see Daniel. It's like, oh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is the sister, blah, blah, blah. And he has to kind of do this amazing sort of code switching, which mm. is something I totally relate to, but in this rapid fire way where the social worker's in the kitchen and she's talking to both Daniel and Mrs. Doubtfire and he has to answer us both. And he gets caught out because his mask, his, his kind of um, latex mask falls onto the, the highway and gets run over by a truck, spoiler alert. And uh, there's the iconic moment where he's about to get caught by the social worker. He only has the wig on. He's like, I need a face, I need a face, I need a face. Slams his face into a cake, pops himself up over the refrigerator door. Hello! Comedy goals. <laughs> Absolute amazingness. It's so, so brilliant. Mm. And as he is clambering through the kitchen with his wig and his dressing gown and his bodysuit, he clocks himself briefly in the mirror. And does he say, but he doesn't say Buffalo Bill. Does he say Norman Bates? He says Norman Bates. He says Norman, Norman Bates. Bates. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it blink yeah. and you'll miss it. So it does yeah. acknowledge yeah. itself, but it doesn't linger on it. It doesn't yes. like hold it. There is yeah. no threat in that statement. It's mm-hmm. just a lovely flicker of, oh, no, we're not doing that. We're doing That's not thing. who we are. Yeah, yeah. We're not doing that. We're not there. Yeah, not, yeah. There's no threat. And um, I think that was really important to them to nod. I'm glad that was there. Me too, me too. I'm also glad they didn't hang around with it. Or they yeah. See, Rob yeah. Williams is so good and so quick. He can just nail a moment and move on whereas anybody else would need to like spend like a minute in for you to get it can you imagine he, Seth does, he does all three really slowly you know yeah. like look to the mirror in the you scene know? where he is talking to the social worker for the first time and he says he's an impressionist and then there's just like they obviously just let a camera run on him for an hour oh yeah he does all three marsh butters in the space of like four seconds <laughs> which i did not get at the time but he so. nails all three of them just like duh, 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 and then off and you're like i spotted every single one of those so brilliant he's amazing so yeah. brilliant do you think um, in that way influenced you towards becoming a performer oh big time big time and definitely influenced me in terms of uh I, I love the idea of cross-casting and as a non-binary actor being able to play across the gender spectrum. That's really mm. exciting to me. 
Mm. So to see an example of that, that wasn't like a panto dame or wasn't something kind of frivolous. It was like this, uh, looking at it, it was like, this is a serious piece of art and this is a serious artist making art. Yeah. And yeah, completely, completely resonates. Yeah. Um, I had an idea to make a Mrs. Doubtfire the musical and they did it on Broadway. Um, so that's now gone, but I do want to play Mrs. Doubtfire and Mrs. Doubtfire the musical. That's a go. Oh, the mm. heart and soul, you know, and you're so right about that, that, that Panto Dame uh, thing in terms of cross-casting, right? Because like I grew up around the Panto, my grandmother was in Panto, she often played um, Buttons, so her cross oh, cool. would have been um, the other way. Or um, she also played, did she play Robin Hood? She's been, she's been cross-cast herself. Um, but that's really interesting. And again, at no point does Mrs. Doubtfire enter Panto Dame realm. There is such sincerity and gentleness. And even in the moments, the pivotal moment of the plot, where she tells the two children who she is, which again could have been played a completely different way, totally handled incredibly gracefully, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like they're still rooting for her, and there is this hesitant from her son from Daniel's son as well at that point but that's brought around really gently as well you know like there was always yeah. going to be a, a mm. wig reveal as well totally yeah. Yeah, yeah it was handled so light almost in a way that I found kind of marvelous right like how is this not more tr- how is this not troubling how is this so gentle because it's character yeah. right mm. Well, it's just because if anybody is going to watch it and then do this, there is that is one of the big transphobic moments just before this, where he throws the sun throws out a load of slurs. Oh, when yeah. he discovers Miss oh, yeah, yeah. So we just we will say that we did notice that. Did <laughs> notice we're that not saying it's like completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah but once that's dealt yeah. with, yeah. Once that's that's yeah, yeah. there is a lot yeah. of tenderness, right? Such a beautiful scene, and I mean, mm. it's um, it's really representative of of any sort of kind of queer coming out. Do you know that? it's sort of that diluted into sort of a minute long scene where like the kids are, are shocked at finding out something they didn't already know. Then when it's explained to them through their dad's eyes, through their, or whoever it is you're dealing with through their eyes, you can understand their perspective. Then it goes like, oh, so it's just you with these minor changes. And he's like, yeah, and it's for a reason. And they're like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Do you know? You're on your side, we're glad to see you. Yeah, exactly. They're just glad their dad is there. God damn, this film gets me so close. <laughs> it's like a welcome moment, right? Where yeah. Like, oh, welcome. We understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. And I like that the logic was don't tell the littlest one because she's going to wrap me out. Not because away. she can knock it, because she's not going to be able to hold the secret. Yeah. Right? Which is lovely. Also, little Mara Wilson would just melt your heart. The little lisp on her. Yeah. Oh, we're his goddamn kids too. <laughs> just too much. 80% eyeball, at least. Oh, she's right. just so cute. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Like, what a fab kid. Like, what a really lovely, lovely character. Um, there's also the really interesting presence throughout this of like the very hyper masculine Pierce Brosnan, right? Yeah, Stu Dunmire. Not necessarily our villain. All the yeah. way. Yeah. But yeah. he, he doesn't do anything wrong ever. He's not like wrong, but yeah. he's antagonistic. And what I love, what I love for Sally Fields, right, is the dream is to have the bright, fabulous sense of humor of Robin Williams, but like the corporal form yeah. of, of early nineties Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. What is Sally Fields doing right? Is what I want to know. <laughs> what I mean? And yeah. also, in a reverse of normal Hollywood stuff, Sally Field forty-seven. Robin Williams, 43, Pierce Brosnan, 40, when they oh. that. Yeah. Get it, Sally. We love yeah. to see it. Good mm-hmm. woman yourself. Get right? it, Sal. Good woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan really never, has never looked better. Like, no. Oh my God, him on that diving board? Man. Hello. Yeah. I was going to talk about that scene, about that navigation of her, of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, just being like, no, no, you just go, I'll sit here at the bar. Yeah. And she... <laughs> <laughs> she's so mad yeah. fantastically handled again really gracefully handled which is just fucking fuming oh yeah yeah there isn't brilliant a, there isn't a better like physical connection in all of film than that line painting Pierce Brosnan's head <gasps> it's one of the purest twats <gasps> in cinema history oh it's brilliant like, I was so looking forward to it when it was coming off I was like throw it throw it throw it yeah throw it. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so good yeah because it used to be, they used to be the ad, but it was on like Sky Movies and stuff. They would, they would always have the lime hit in the ad. So it's like just like a little gif in your head. It's like part of mm-hmm. like just nostalgia bank. Yeah. 
good old drive-by freezing can't be <laughs> more often deserved I don't know if you could remake Mrs. Doubtfire today what way would you approach it wouldn't do it wouldn't touch it it's perfect as it is really like pretty much like I would maybe oh that that's a really good question and a really tricky question sorry like, how about it's a musical you said you thought about it as a musical what way would you oh yeah musical theatre Give me your soundtrack. Give me your banging soundtrack. Because like, the, I need the to The tunes. So like, I, I, one of the first ideas I have is like the, the restaurant scene would be so fun to write as a musical scene. Stage. yeah. Mm. Oh. Because you'd have, you'd have the different settings of like, she's there as Mrs. Doubtfire with the family and then she has the boss over here and then all the stuff that's happening in the bathroom. And they could be three different like musical motifs that are happening. And then it could all kind of come together and then it's all built with this crescendo as she's doing the Heimlich on stew. And then it all just cuts as the mask comes off. Do you know? Um, I also thought it'd be really cute to have a little uh, song uh, with Mrs. Doubtfire doing stories for Natty with different voices. I thought that'd be very adorable. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, If I were to remake it as a film, I think with a few small omissions of some kind of dodgy, slightly transphobic, slightly racist. I feel like we would not be using Aerosmith to look like the lady at any juncture. I feel like that just wouldn't be <sighs> I was sitting there going, really, laugh, really? We're yeah. going that hard? Like, yeah. Yeah. Apart from those few small things, I think this is a near perfect film. Mm. I would, you know, I'd agree with you. I think that that sort of Robin Williams' intensity and magic and the ease with which he moves through a fiction on screen. I don't actually think that there is anybody like him. And I don't know. No. There's so many shades of Mrs. Doubtfire in it. Like he, it's, she's like fully realized. Like, because like there's the, she's so gentle. The version that impresses Sally Field. There's the, the strict authoritarian when I guess him goes through the housework. There's the, the fish tank. There's the shade oh, queen. CNN. Whenever she's talking to Stu. About his car and stuff. Oh, like, I'm it's so just... sorry, I found it in the pavement outside the house. It's terrible. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, like... mm. it's it really is an incredible form. I, yeah, I don't think anybody could do that. I, there's nobody working on that kind of level anymore, really. No, I don't is think there? so. Yeah, we could try rack our brains, but it'll just be dead air because we just admit Robin Williams is the best. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know if there was anyone else considered for the part of a Doubtfire mm. or not or was it kind of built around because it very much feels like it's built around him yeah okay. you kind of can't you know? help but wonder how much of it was scripted and how much of it was just you know him being... well there's a lovely interview with the cast uh, it's the, the actors who played the three kids and Pierce Brosnan are interviewed as like a 25th anniversary um, uh, interview and it's super sweet go and watch it just to kind of have a cry about missing Robin Williams but <laughs> they it just sounded the whole film sounded like an incredible experience it was a really long kind of involved process um, they were super close as a cast Robin was really close with each of them individually he used to um, tell Chris and Liddy, the actors who played them, they'd never do drugs, it'll affect your mental health. He's really open about addiction and, um, and mental health issues. And um, he was really good to little Mara. And apparently they do a take, they do it as scripted. And then he would just go off and do like 30 takes with something brand new every time. Mm. So some of the absolute zingers from the film are completely from his mind, like the lime being thrown. That was totally mm. him. That was him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's just he's so all over it. I don't think I can really mm. imagine anybody else it's doing it. I think if you remade it, it would be a poor. It would be someone doing a poor impression of Robin Williams. Yeah, which we saw with Aladdin. Where mm. it was like, Simply don't. Yeah. Yeah. Simply don't. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Will Smith, fabulous, but he's not my he's not my genie. Sorry, not my genie. Hashtag not my genie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I do think something else that is interesting, that's really interesting, is how they handle, again, what year is it, 1993? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How they handle uh, Daniel's brother and his partner. Mm. Um, so there's this lovely, like, again, having lived in San Francisco, I am aware of this lovely history that we simply, la- like, not that we lack it in Dublin, but it's smaller in Dublin, you know? Like, it's harder here. Like, it was made, life was made harder here for queer people than it was in mm. San Francisco. For example, some of my uh, queer friends in San Francisco, people who I would consider family, 
are my parents' age, right? And I simply don't have access to that here, right? Um, so there's a much deeper legacy of that, of that in San Francisco. Um, so <laughs> Daniel's brother and his partner, there's just never a question, never a flinch, never a moment of curiosity, just like this is his brother and his partner and they're makeup artists. And there's a couple of gags about them being makeup artists, but there's not any gags about them being gay. Mm-hmm. Right? There's absolutely nothing. And without them, Mrs. Doubtfire simply wouldn't exist. Exactly. There is this lovely correlation, I think, with Daniel and his brother and his brother's partner with the idea of having a drag family, right? The idea of having people who are more experienced in the art of putting face and the costume together, who will bring you seamlessly along and bring you to dif- through different iterations of your own identity, as you've seen this lovely montage where Rob Williams was a really banging Barbara Streisand. <laughs> oh, uncanny, so yeah. uncanny Streisand moment looking up at the yeah. camera. I was like, that, there's, that's kind of chilling a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. And iterates through all these feminine identities, never in a way that feels cruel, in a way that feels consistently queer throughout. And I, I don't know, I, I love to see that. And I, I wonder, as a drag performer at this point, Gren, what, like, what did you feel looking at that? Did you feel like, uh, like for me, watching Victor Victoria as a kid, I felt very heavily um, drawn towards that switching. But watching it yourself as someone who would go on to work in cabaret and go on to work, to work in drag, did you feel like it's... It was like a like a little fish hook that brought you along, or what did you feel when you saw it? Definitely, I think it's really interesting that you mention um, Harvey Firestein's character and kind mm. of the the way he plays it so well. And he's so uh, he's such an original, isn't he? Pitch perfect. Um, Nobody so like good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel goes, "Can you make me Joan Collins?" He goes, "I don't think I have the strength. <laughs> I have some class. I don't think I have the strength. I don't think I have the strength. Perfect beard. That yeah. It's fantastic. So yeah, but it's, it's interesting original. to sort of it's interesting to reflect and go. There was an instance where I could see a queer queer characters who were very kind of clearly queer who yeah. were being upheld, who were being um, not just like shining a spotlight, like aren't gays great? But as you say, no, without, in their ordinary lives, in their exactly yeah. without Frank and Jack, the action can't continue. Uh, Daniel can't see the kids. You know, and they're kind of an ongoing presence in that they replace the mask firm and stuff like that when it gets run over. Um, at the time, because I kind of wasn't in my queerness, I wasn't like, oh, I identify with this and it's great. But sort of, you know, looking back, going, there was one really good, clear, shiny example among all the other really muddy examples of sort of queer representation. Which are always mired in villainy, right? You know, so much uh, threat and so much complications around around queer identities that we see on screen. Yeah, yeah. they're either either villains or they're kind of trivialised. And this just kind Mm. of nicely hit in the middle and kind of like they are who they are. They're important to the story. There you go. They're the Catholic. Yeah, big time. They tried to make a sequel for a long time. But okay. according to Wikipedia, like Rob Williams is skeptical and the script's not right. The script's not right. Because he like he, he said apparently, like, they all know at the end of the film. So yeah. what's the second film gonna be? It was like something like his oldest daughter goes to college and he tries to keep an eye on her. But like mm. and then they fight I think they were into a fight they started again in 2014 in April, but then Rob Williams died in August 2014. Okay. So that was like done yeah. but and they said we're not going to make it without him which is 100 percent the correct decision right make i think about that yeah i think what a sequel would lack is the stakes and there are constant mm. stakes throughout this film that really keep you engaged um yeah. you know from the jump divorce lost loses the kids and then there's just loads of little barriers mm. that kind of keep coming up where there's this brilliant dramatic irony where we know he's mrs doubtfire and they don't and there's all these lovely kind of delicious moments whereas uh yeah i don't think that would read the second time you can recreate that no because like and with films like family films you have to let them have family film logic where yeah. you like yeah. you can't go get too deeply into like it's quite a weird and like unhealthy thing to do to completely lie to your kids for months and months and months yeah but uh what the judge kind of does at the end he's like this was not a a, a regular thing you did we need to you need to talk to people about this um but you can't like but we know, we know he, why he did it. Yeah, yeah. Either that of love. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. It's a, 
like and having worked myself as a as a nanny um for about three years on and off like there is a the, the hand with which williams plays authoritarian versus caregiver is mm. really beautiful and there's these amazing sequences of course because he's playing this lovely line between being daniel and also under the guise of of Mrs. Doubtfire, the kind of conversations that you have with the head of the house, which are always couched with a certain boundary of, oh, sure, I'm sure it's a good conversation to ask, however, you know, like there's, uh, I found it really, really interesting as someone who has looked after uh, Packheights, moms, kids, myself in those very neighborhoods, um, just in terms of navigating those spaces and, uh, Something that I thought was lovely about it, and again, having gone through all the different, uh, the lovely monologue where Robin Williams tries on, Barbara tries on for size and a couple of different other feminine identities, that Mrs. Doubtfire is elderly, right? There's a kind of a softness to, and an experience and a life to live, yeah. mm. right? There's not a, um, and I think that negates any query about Daniel's own orientation and Daniel's queerness, which is never something that's played for laughs or played under scrutiny. There's, and especially given the time in the 90s that this was, right, which is like Friends is called gay panic, like gay panic is something that's used constantly during, through media at this time for laughs. Never for an instant is, well, you know what, Daniel, like there's nothing like that, which I think is really, it's, almost anomalous with the time that it's made in you know yeah it's yeah it's, it's great it's a fucking mm. relief to sit through but uh it's very interesting that those choices were made given the time that it was made in i'd love to know where that comes from if that's like who was robin that? williams or is that chris yeah. columbus or is that the producer is that the, the writer is that anne fine who wrote madame doubtfire who it's inspired by do you know mm. <clears throat> there's a so something else I noticed that's interesting about it is that it's, a, it's an English book made American. But tell so me about the book. I didn't know that at all until this literal moment. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's a kid's book by Anne Fine, originally called Madame Doubtfire, came out in 1987, and it's basically it's the, roughly the same plot as the film. But um, there is a sort of slightly, I don't know, there's a slightly English sens- sensibility to some of the, the bigger plot points, but I'd love to know where that um, general sensitivity to these things came from. Because watching back, thinking of, like, film made in 1993, homosexuality was probably still criminalised in Ireland. Like, oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's bizarre that there's not more cancellable moments and that these things are handled with such mm. tact. Yeah. Tell Robin Williams did tickets. star in... Um, sorry, come on, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to ask about the tickets to Cancel Island, right? I was oh, yeah. Ask yeah. about the, the Get Your Backup moments. Because, again, we have this running gag on Juvenile, which is, like, all our faves are problematic. However, yeah. I do feel that there are some exceptions to the lightness of well beauty and the beast is about stockholm syndrome like there's mm-hmm. that and then there's no this is mad damaging actually <laughs> so i'm you know all our faves are problematic like most things in this world is a spectrum and yeah. i'm really interested in the tickets to cancellation island right the things that are actually of of the shitty 90s where nobody was paying attention because our mm. feels like a wholesome piece of work yeah yeah, right. with a few small little slip-ups. With these slip-ups, mm. yeah. Yeah. You were saying there, Alan? Uh, oh, I was going to say, like, Robin Williams did start in the birdcage as well. Oh, so true. I'm wondering yeah. if it did, because that, I, I am a set man, mm. but I get the impression the birdcage is quite well-regarded it by is. the community. It really yeah. is, yeah. So, yeah. So it could be, I know, I was the... One of the, the big cancel moment in Mrs. Delfer is Rob Williams alone improvising, so maybe he's not, like, flawless. But I think I wonder if it did come from the sensitivity did come from him in this area. Yeah, I want to I want to poetically believe that it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, completely <laughs> yeah. solely. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'd love to actually have a look at say like Chris Columbus also directed uh, Nine Months, which I haven't seen in years, and Stepmom, which I haven't seen in years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to watch some other of his kind of early nineties work and see if it has that same. I guess kind of like it seems prescient, almost like forward thinking sense of. Let's not take the piss out of all these minorities. Well, yeah. He's also a Bay Area native. Like, Robin Williams was a regular at the bookstore I used to work in, you know? Oh, and wow. when he died, he was like the owner of a. I worked in the bookstore, the Booksmith, the Booksmith Hate Street. Hop. Shout uh, out. 
shout out I was their greeting cards and stationery buyer so there's a <laughs> there's a job um it was the best job I've ever worked in my life and um there was a a sense that like the local you know the local fancy people who chose to live in San Francisco were kind of part of our wider community and our the, the woman who owned the bookstore Kristen was re I remember the day that uh, Rob Moon died because Rob Moon's like I worked there at the time and um I genuinely think that living in the Bay, the wider Bay Area, kind of gives you tolerance magic. Yeah, Maybe not for actually, literally every single person. Yeah, yeah. But well, people. you'd have way more experience of diversity. Like, well, mm. when I moved, I moved to the Bay Area in 2012, and obviously in Ireland at that point, I never would have met any trans people at all because, like, yeah. what is 2012 even for a person from Kilbaric? Do you know what I mean? But then when I moved back in 2015, I'd met lots of people from lots of different walks of life who I never would have met otherwise on 100% in the parochial communities that I would have kind of come out of myself. So perhaps some of Robin Williams's empathy, which is evident in his work at this point, and again, taking on a role like this is out far, is from like lived experience and knowing loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds and just not being ticked. Oh, <laughs> so, God. Why do they have to die so young, the good ones? Yeah, so young, Honestly. like. So, so young. And when, when he did, it was health. It was felt in the neighborhood, you know? Yeah. So. Were you I, over I there? He, you were there when he died? Yeah. Well, not literally right. there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you were performing the last one. Uh, yes, bring the Irish priest in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, he lived in the North Bay, um, but I lived in the city. And yeah, I lived in the city when he died. And it was felt across the city, 100%. He was mm. considered a resident of San Francisco. And this is like the Mrs. Doubtfire House is considered a like a landmark, like a tourist yeah. landmark, and I believe yeah. it's still in set condition. And um, yeah. there was an act of arson performed on it because everything it was just so San Francisco. Everything in San Francisco has tried to be burned down at some point or other. Like it was a real phase of burning down all buildings when I was there, to, especially towards the end. Um, but I know that it was bought in 1997. I want to say for like 1.3 mil. But it was bought again in like more recent years, like since 1718. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that doubt your, fire money, that doubt fire market. Mm. There's your inflation, you know? Yeah. Um, the neighborhood that it's in is super posh. Like it's the poshest of the poshest of the posh. Pack heights is. Oh, pack heights is the real deal. The park that they play in is, I Think so I'm looking at the background is then the Presidio, which is like a I guess it's like a military base almost. It's kind of a county within itself in San Francisco, but the angles that you see the Golden Gate Bridge in is definitely Presidio from what I can tell. Um it's a very, very San Francisco story. And I think the light handedness with uh gender and with performance of gender comes intrinsically from this city. My wife reminded me of this last night, which I completely forgot about. There's a Robin Williams tunnel off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, sure. When you come back to the Golden Gate Bridge, it's, uh, it's called the Robin Williams tunnel. It has a rainbow. Oh, I, I know the rainbow tunnel, but I didn't yeah, yeah. know it was called that. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it's the Robin Williams tunnel, yeah. That's, oh, that's so beautiful. Hmm. God, that's fabulous. Jeepers. I don't know. I generally don't miss the place at all. I generally am that's him. <laughs> but when you watch Mrs. Doubtfire, I'm like reignites the flame. Nostalgic for a city I never got to live in, which is very specifically the San Francisco of the nineties. I mm. don't know. Have you ever been there yourself? I've never been to San Fran. No, um, I've only been to the states. I've been to the states twice. Once when I was a tiny baby, and then when I was about thirteen, and we went to New York and uh, Buffalo to see Niagara Falls. So that was it. I'd love to go to the West Coast. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a it's good for a trip but not for a long one okay good to know yeah. it's good for a flicker but the lovely soft gaze that we see in of of it in Mrs. Doubtfire I don't I think it's, it's of a it's of a fantasy world sadly oh. yeah. tragedy <coughs> so hit us with more of your, your Mrs. Doubtfire facts uh let us like what else have you got in your notes so I would love to point out there's a scene where Miranda is obviously a, an interior designer and there's a scene where Stu is trying to flirt with her and she keeps just telling him what's in the design of the room and just the yeah. image it conjures of 90s 
interior design. I made a list and I would like to read it in full. Please, please do. Please. Yeah. So, so she said, this is, this is her dream. This is like a dream home. Music salon with inspiration from the French Second Empire. She wants a 17th century grand piano, tufted sofa, Flemish tapestry, brass-bound Regency-style table, mantel clocks, fringed upholstered chairs, drapes, heavy drapes. I love the heavy drapes. <laughs> yeah. It's totally uh, 90s opulence, isn't it? Oh, Very that. Yeah. Mantle clocks. Yeah, it's definitely like 90s penthouse vibes. I yes, can see very it. I can see the floral fabric. I can like feel the texture of it under my hand. You can see the yes. magazine article about it. Oh. Yeah. It's a bad time. Mm-hmm. I just loved that very and much. And Pierce Brosnan, uh, a goer, is just like, will you please have sex with me? And she's like, and the sofa shall be. <laughs> oh, the drapes are tufted and they're heavy. Oh, the clock, the clock is beautiful. And he's just like, I would really like to take you to dinner. Like it's it's a lovely scene in the way that it's played the two different times. It's very, it's almost like it would happen on stage. It's a very like theatery mm. conversation, you know? Totally. Totally. Going on at once. Um, that's about the height of it from, from my notes. I just want to say again that I love this film very much. There's very little I would change about it. Um, I just, I just can't get over the, the casting of it and how, well everyone gel together if every film if everyone films cast could work that well together you'd have we'd have a different industry <laughs> i don't think that gel works like that anymore at all yeah like softness and that ease you see a little bit of it in moments of home alone i think maybe i'm just looking at like posh american houses and i'm thinking of like posh american house family movies right but the gel of the cast is really really uncommon in your experience in terms of how you've worked in cabarets and working theaters like how, like, what's your, like, how do you think casts get close to that experience? Like, what do you think about it? It's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I feel like a lot of it is top down. So if the, say, if the company that's making the thing, the director, the producer, the writer, if that's sort of like kind of top, top tier within the project, if they're all on board together, if they're all people who get on well with other people and if they're interested in everyone having a nice time while they make the thing, mm-hmm. that's, what's, that's what creates the, uh, an atmosphere enough of, an, of enough ease for people to sort of enter into whatever it is, a rehearsal space or a theatre, studio, podcast room, whatever it might be. Um, I think as long as there's, there's, there's an ease there that kind of you can be who you need to be, whether you're super social or you're super quiet, that there's sort of a place for everybody in the project that everybody is there for a reason. Everybody is there kind of on equal, on equal merit. I feel like that's a, that's a lovely thing to sense as you walk into a room or as you get to know a cast. And I can always kind of tell when that's off. I can always tell when there's like a little bit of discord in the production team or like the idea isn't very clear or the idea was never going to work. So whoever's working on it then has got this kind of slightly uphill battle. Um, it takes like it takes kind of optimal conditions for it to work, for it to gel really kind of seamlessly. Mm. Um, and it does happen. I think in the case of Mrs. Doubtfire, you've got a brilliant story with a brilliant director, with a brilliant cast. Like it's, it's just all of these elements combining and they, they clearly have enough money to make it. I think it took quite, lo- quite a long time to make it. It was a long process. So they all got to spend a lot of time together as well, which is beautiful because mm. like you really can't manufacture that on-screen chemistry. Like we wouldn't believe that um, Robin Williams as Mara will uh, Mara's down unless they'd spent that bit of bonding time together. Yeah. Do you Tender, know? Yeah, yeah. You can't kind of you can't force that. You, you can try and play that as an actor, I guess. But if the if the kind of cast conditions are right, you shouldn't have to. There should be a sense of intimacy and closeness and and tenderness between um, between a cast under the right conditions. Do you know? Mm, absolutely. And mm. the time you're dead right hitting on it like. You can't just, I guess the magic occasionally in theatre is that you walk into a room and you hit it with people, right? Yeah. Fostering those long-term conditions where everyone can bloom into the characters they're going to be is a real luxury and it just doesn't happen, you know? No, Like no. there is a show on this date and we're getting to that date. And yeah, and we barely have enough money to pay anyone to be there in the time where we need to be there, do you what know? What will be, will be learn your lines, you know? 100%, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in terms of your own experiences with the theatre, like what brought you into the theatre yourself? Ooh, um, I think I think I just kind of always had a little bit of a bug for it. 
I had no awareness of any, of having any sort of performing talent until communion preparation in second class, where we were all kind of randomly given jobs, right. and one of mine was to sing "My Shepherd Is the Lord." Oh. And I brought I brought that church to its knees, Banger, the entire right? congregation. <laughs> Uh, kneeling in prayer in a, in a frenzy over the boy soprano-ness of it all um, but that, that was the first time I'd ever gone like oh I can do something that makes everyone shut like up walking the altar, like I've got a brush man oh, I've got to do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 someone got, someone got me an agent um, <laughs> and then um, I remember going to kind of music lessons after that and then I watched my mom's friend's kid in her end of year stage school show and they were doing like selections from lots of different musicals and I literally turned to my mom and said that that's what I want to do that that there that's me that's what I want to do um started in stage school and that was the that was the end the what beginning of the end. Were you in? I was in theater work stage school in oh, Lisa, just mm-hmm. God it's incredible that what what going through youth theater does for you isn't it yeah you were in DYT I was. I'm a DIT. Every so often I go, DIT, DYT alumni, but I'm like, it's DYT Mafia. Oh. <laughs> everyone, everyone is really through DYT. I was. Yeah. For me, it was like a, an escape yeah. more than anything. I didn't know if I wanted to answer what the crack was. I turned out I wanted to write. Mm. But, and I was much happier behind the stage than not. Um, but yeah, it is like local youth theatre groups. Um, are incredible powerful spaces for queer youth and for people who are who have something that they can't find a jigsaw point for in their homes right or in their totally yeah for a long time kind of from the ages of like 10 to 14 that was the only space that i actually felt fully safe in was kind of at drama class or in, in that theater yeah. environment um because I think in a lot of ways, A, you don't have to be yourself all the time, which is a lovely, lovely luxury. You can be somebody else most of the time. Yeah, yes. which is fabulous. Yes. And you're encouraged to be that. Yeah. Um, but then there's the other part of it where, you know, you're being praised for your gifts and for your hard work and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, it really is a spot for, for the owl queers and the misfits. Oh, I tell you what, like, <laughs> it's it's lovely to, it, you know, in, and, and obviously we all murdered each other then. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There, there's Ruthless. internal murders happen on any theatre set as well and in any theatre world but I do think youth theatre is one of those incredible fostering points for people that like I don't know where I would be like I'm not even in the theatre like I'm, yeah. I'm I work on my own yeah. yeah yeah it's a very very important time for a lot of people I think you know? totally totally and especially yeah. encourage arts participation for kids oh my god bring, <laughs> bring them Fund in the it. door deeper yeah. like Holy moly. I don't know. Um, oh, you weren't in a youth theatre, were you? No, I... Bands. I was in bands, but what, yeah. I think what kind I kind of, of missed theater? the memo. There was like a point where you suddenly realised all the cool kids had been doing youth theatre for two years. And you're like, <laughs> wait, they when did they, when did we get asked if we wanted to do that? I must have missed that. So it was like, all right, they're all a gang now. So that's, that's that, I guess. <laughs> but then, yeah, I was in like the like our transition year show. Which what, what uh, was is it? the opposite of watch? Uh, Helps succeed in business without really trying. Oh, cool! Yeah, it was great. Very um, cool. Our musical was unusual because it was an all boys school, but we were the one school in town that got girls in from other schools. Oh. So we actually had mixed casting. So it was an in, an intensely heterosexual environment. Wow! <laughs> That's what you were saying. Yeah, I think it's Especially, a time in the walls, Alan. <laughs> oh, the, the first day we all came in in our suits for a dress rehearsal. Oh. You, you suddenly understand the power of a tie yeah <laughs> it's not your school tie <laughs> yeah we did we did feel yeah, great, they wouldn't let us use the boys school um mm. the boys school who burnt a giant stick into our front lawn in sixth year by the way oh, wow. like, which was just in the true exhibit of extreme patriarchy the neighboring boys school as their prank for sixth year burnt like i would say a six or seven foot dick into our school's front lawn uh, oh of course, many years before the advent of the camera phone, but it's it's scorching to my mind. That's the funniest thing I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> when we did our school show, there were no invitationals to the gentleman's school at all. So there was much drag, including myself. Um, oh, fab. I got to play Nikki in the I could see that. Segment. I could see that for you. Thank you. <laughs> I have mad crony energy. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to sing. Uh, I, I competed very hotly for the role of, um, uh, oh, Jesus, one of the cats in Cats. Our school musical was a through the years musical, right? So we did 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, and 2000s. And the 60s was um, Hair. Oh, fab. The 70s was <laughs> Darkly Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> wouldn't be doing that in a Catholic school, right? We're all very surprised by that. Or so, yeah, and the 50s was Greece, um, 60s was hair, 70s was that night fever, 80s was cats, and the 90s was Lion King, right? And <gasps> I went for a role in cats, and I'm still mad to this day that I did not get my role in cats. Thank you very much. They're gonna have to revive it just for you. Mm-hmm. I, they, they should bring me back. Um, Name and shame. <laughs> Miss Kelly, I see you. Um, but I did get to sing, Did you get very far as one line in Greece? Um, oh, nice. I did have my moment as Kinnicky in the song. Um, it was as miserable, exactly as it sounds. Um, the year after, my old girl school did do uh, Josephine's Second Color Dream Coat, which as far as I Oh, that was heard. the year after us as well, it, Joseph. But in yeah. all girls, they didn't invite the boys' school because it's just like it's the greatest drag show on earth. And I yeah, there's only there's yeah. only one one female part in that show, isn't it's there? Sorry, sure. Yeah, yeah. And it was, do you know, what? it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it was from the girls, and we were just like, you know what, this is brilliant. Um, That's off. School musicals were more of an exercise in my experience in sort of um, <laughs> militaristic controls and creative expression. Very mm, uh, that. Yeah. Ours were actually we actually did ours in a theater. Like we booked out the theater. The, theater in Waterford to do it for Come five on, nights. Waterford. Oh, yeah, yeah. she got the theater. The year before us was some like it hot. Oh wow! Uh, which <laughs> was like two two transition year lads like dragging up, which in nineteen ninety eight took a lot for them, I think. But they nailed it. They were great. Like, so much mutual cross dressing school musical history going mm. on here, guys. <laughs> I went to a mixed school, so I have nothing to compare it to. Although um, I am very trans now, so I mean that's <laughs> that's something. <laughs> That's way more, way more crack. The, so you, you're from like Kildare? Yeah, Kildare, Kildare, Kildare Dublin border. Good old little old leak slip. But now I live in D, the D8 massive, living my, living my best life. Unreal. Uh, uh, I'm always flagging on the low key for being from Waterford, but also desperately want to move there because it's very peaceful and beautiful. It is very, <laughs> very peaceful very, and beautiful. Very yeah, nice. I like Waterford. And we have good street art. Uh, I think we're just chatting now, so we should probably round it Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we just moved into personal history from, from Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. So have we got any uh, final notes on Mrs. Doubtfire? Ren, what do you think? Any uh, parting notes, any advice on people going into it? Who, who, the rare occasional person who may not have seen Mrs. Doubtfire for their first journey in, what do you think? I would say it is a perfect example of... Um, 90s sort of queer representation done right. If you want to see an unproblematic, mostly unproblematic example of a sort of pre-woke uh, depiction of a non-cis character, this is the way to go. Um, I would say watch it when you're like, it's, I think it's a great film if you need a little bit of an emotional release, you're at a little bit of a low ebb and you just can't kind of push through. It'll make you cry, but then you'll kind of have that, you know, doubtfire euphoria after. Mm. Um, and you just won't be able to get over the the just the, the just the pure acting of Sally Fields. That's kind of what I want to end on, is that even though you know Robin Williams is off doing cartwheels as you know acting cartwheels as this character and is really putting pulling out all the stops, she's just so earthy and grounded. And I could just tell she'd be deadly to have on set as well. So Sally, if you're out there, give me a call. I'd love to collab. DM me, just like Alan did to come on this podcast. Slide <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Ren, do you have stuff to promote? Mm, where can we, where can find, we find you? you? Yeah. yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Avoca Reaction. Avoca like the place in Wicklow or the Posh Garden Centre or Reaction like Reaction. Um, keep an eye on my page there. We are planning a queer cabaret online uh, Paddy's Day spectacular with some very special guests that will be happening over Twitch um, and there'll be more details coming very soon. Thank you so wow. much for having me on. This has been lovely. Thank, lovely. Thank you oh so much. Goodness. 
Sarah, where can we find you? I'm on the internet. You know where I am. I'm at Grifty on Twitter, and I'm in all bookshops largely. Um, my novels are Spare and Park and Other Words for Smoke. Alan, where can we find you? I am Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Uh, Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter. Juvenalia pod on Instagram. We have uh, a website, juvenalia.net, which has transcriptions, which we're adding to all the time for episodes. Um, Thank you, Andrea. And, uh, and Andrea Cleary is doing those for us. She's amazing. Um, we also have pictures from when we used to like take pictures of things mm-hmm. of us with various guests from when we used to be, we be in the same room as them. Yeah. Um, and we have a Patreon where there are bonus episodes about lots of things, like mostly video games. It's, it's essentially the bonus of Patreon is essentially a video game podcast at this point, but also about Vaporwave and Lost and Sherlock fandoms. Um, uh, so thank you, D. McMullen, for our artwork. Thanks, D. Uh, we miss you, Alan. Miss you, Alan. And go listen to other Tall Tales podcasts uh, and especially broadcast our new um, premium subscriber uh, area with bonus podcasts. Come help us keep the lights on. Yeah. Um, That's it, I think. It's been a week. Yeah. All right. (laughs) See you in two weeks, everybody. (laughs) See you in two very long weeks, everybody. (laughs) Bye.